The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Good evening, Kaya. Welcome to the Law Report. Mobizi Tamlila, again standing in for my big brother, Michael Matwening. He's already on holiday. I decided to be uh, on duty for him. Today we want to talk about the human rights issues uh, for the Sadak region and all the people on the African continent as we go into the festive season. Join us in this discussion. We hope that by the end of this discussion, everyone will know what we're talking about when we refer to human rights. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuening Bill. Mkaya, we, uh, this is the last show before the end of the year and uh, everyone I'm sure is ready and readying themselves for the festive season. Uh, some of you want to travel, some of you want to have people coming, visiting you from other parts of the African continent and indeed across the world into, into South Africa. So we thought it would be important for us to have a discussion that uh, we educate ourselves and each other around uh, what it is that uh, you would require to travel across the African continent, what is it that you would require when you travel to come into South Africa and what are your rights and responsibilities when you enter South Africa and what are your rights and responsibilities when you enter other African uh, countries. You would know that the history of the African continent, in particular the history of SADC, is a history of solidarity. Uh, and how much of that, uh, particularly our, our fight against apartheid, our fight against uh, colonialism, how much of that has enabled us to live as one people? And how is that evidenced in the manner in which uh, people are allowed to travel across uh, countries and how is that evidenced by the manner in which when you are in a, in a, in a particular Sada country or in a particular African country, what rights do you accrue uh, in, 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 in those countries and indeed what, are, what will be your responsibilities as we prepare to travel uh, and to welcome visitors that come and join us here, even here in South Africa. Uh, some foreign nationals who are in the country will be traveling to go back to go visit friends and relatives, South African nationals might very well be having other uh, nation, nationals of other countries coming to, to visit you here. What does the law say around uh, the travel of, of us as African people amongst, amongst each other? And, um, I'm, and I'm joined uh, in this very important discussion by Dr. Vusmuz Spanda uh, with the Diaspora Forum, and he'll be also be helping us to understand this issue. And I'm also joined by Advocate Clinton Musa, uh, who, uh, who has expensive, uh, extensive experience uh, in dealing with issues of migration. Um, uh, to the two gentlemen, uh, good evening and welcome to uh, to the Law Report. Good evening, thank you, and uh, good evening to the listeners. Uh, uh, Dr. Spanda, if, 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 if I may start with you, while we're waiting for uh, Advocate Clinton to, 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 to join us. Um, from your interaction as a, as a person that works with members of the diaspora, um, what has been your experience as far as whether or not, um, let me put it this way, broadly speaking, um, uh, nationals know, foreign nationals, whether foreign nationals know what their rights and responsibilities are when they visit a particular African country? Well, um, the, the truth is that there is uh, quite a mixed um, you know, experience, especially in terms of the level of uh, understanding and knowledge in terms of, of, of the law. Because there is a few that would obviously have an understanding that if they get into any other into any country for that matter, they need to know the laws of that particular country. And uh, we know that um, from history, it has always been that you know, ignorance is no excuse at law. But uh, interestingly and quite um, uh, on point is that in South Africa, you know, that principle does not really apply because you know um, we, we've noticed that the laws are generally so ex- you know expansive, you know, quite broad, so that people may not know all the laws. So obviously when people come into South Africa, a lot of them don't know, you know, quite, you know, a number of laws and practices. And this tends to spread very, very widely, especially, you know, in the migrant community, because a lot of the people that are in the migrant community are people that might not, you know, have, you know, very advanced, you know, education, especially the ones that are seen to be very vulnerable either in the workplace, you know, either, you know, on the road when they deal with um, law enforcement agents. You know, even, you know, for example, when they go to hospitals where they should receive, you know, services. So there is quite a very big gap, you know, when it comes to the level of understanding of the laws and even the rights and responsibilities that accrue to them to such an extent that a lot of them, they feel that even if their rights are infringed upon, they think it's a favor. Even those, um, for example, let's talk about asylum seekers and refugees. You find that somebody is an asylum seeker or refugee, well-documented, regular migrant. But, you know, if their rights, 
um, have been infringed upon, and that person says, you'll hear them say, yeah, but we have been done a favor because we are here in South Africa, which means that they're actually saying, look, they do not have, you know, that basic or fundamental human right that accrues to a South African person because they are a migrant, even if that is a basic human right which, you know, they deserve uh, to enjoy. So, so, so let, 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 if, if, if that is so, that there's, there's expansive, um, expansively so, people don't know what it is that is expected of them. Let's then start from the basic. Before you come into, in this respect, um, into South Africa, as a foreign national, what is required of you? Well, look, um, one of the, obviously, we can talk of, of in terms of, you know, the paperwork that, you know, one needs to have the, the valid documentation, but also... Um, it is generally accepted that, you know, before you go into a country, you need to understand the basic laws of that particular country, do a bit of a study in terms of, okay, what are the laws in this country, you know, in regard to people, you know, um, uh, I mean, to, to the basic practices like traveling, like documentation and things that are required. But you will acknowledge that a lot of the people that obviously um, travel into South Africa, for example, are people that have not planned to travel into South Africa. Now, well, let, 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 let's start with a person that makes a conscious decision that they intend yes. to travel into South Africa. In terms of paperwork, what is required of them? Well, look, uh, somebody that comes into South Africa, for example, that person would have to find out that, for example, is their country visa exempt to such an extent that they don't need, you know, to apply for a visa or they can get, you know, uh, that that temporary visitor's visa when they get to the border where it is stamped at the border post or they have to go to the embassy or the high commission, you know, of, of, of South Africa in their country to apply, you know, for a visa because there are different regimes that basically accrue to various countries where somebody will have to apply for a, I mean, a visa, wait for it to be issued and then they are issued and then they come. But you've got countries like Zimbabwe, for example, who are allowed about, I think, 90 days in a year to come into South Africa. Who ordinarily, if they would come into South Africa, you know, they would they should basically say, look, I'm going to South Africa, I want to spend two weeks, and they can request at the border that I need two weeks, and they're given the two weeks. But you find that, for example, that person, even if they come in, they don't know that, you know, it is their right to state that, you know, I'm going into South Africa for two weeks, I need two weeks. But in fact, they may get there and realize that they're given seven days or, you know, 10 days, which does not really allow them to complete what they want to do and they find themselves infringing. So a person who makes a conscious decision that they want to travel into a country, they need to know that traveling in a country does not really make you a beggar in any case. You have got the full right to understand that you have, the person has responsibilities not to infringe on the laws of that country, to ensure that if somebody, for example, is coming to the country and they need to extend, for example, assume that they've had a breakdown of, you know, a car, you know, what, what authorities they need to go to. And uh, if, for example, you know, they've lost the passport or something has happened, where do they need to go to? So a lot of our people now need to sit down and plan. So it's not just about the money that says I need to get so much money to go because I want to buy this. It is also about understanding the laws of that particular country and the ordinary attitude as well towards, you know, a migrant so that one can understand, for example, or visitors, one can understand, you know, what to expect when they move into that particular country. So, 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 so when you say there are countries that are visa exempt, what, what, uh, what does that term mean when you say that there are countries that are visa exempt? Okay. Now, when we talk about countries that are visa exempt, you find that there are countries that uh, if somebody, uh, let, let's look at, for example, let me just uh, use this uh, device versa. If somebody from South Africa visits, you know, Zimbabwe, they don't need a visa. They get okay. into Zimbabwe, mm-hmm. you know, their passport is stamped, you know, they tell them that they want so many days or 30 days. And if the 30 days expire, they don't even need to go to the border, you know, for example, to get there. They can simply go to the immigration you know, office and then they extend for about three months. And thereafter, if they want to extend, they can extend for a small fee or fine of some sort. Now, that means South Africa, for example, is visa exempt completely in Zimbabwe. But when you come to, for example, Zimbabweans in South Africa, they are not completely visa exempt because they have a temporary visa in the sense that they are allowed 90 days and their passport uh, you know, gets stamped that they can stay for so many days. And if the 90 days expired in that year, it means they cannot ordinarily now come. They would have to apply now for a specific visa, either a relative visa, a business visa, which they have to send that application to, you know, the, 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 the South African High Commission in, in, in Zimbabwe, which will then say, okay, we are approving your visit for a given period of time, or you have a temporary visit, whether it's a quarter visa, like South Africa now uses visa, even if it's a business permit that you're coming to South Africa for four years, that you have got a business visa for four years. So the, 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 when somebody does not, uh, is not, or is, is they come from a country that is visa exempt, it means that 
number one, there's a first category where they don't need to apply for anything at all and there are no restrictions. They can only extend as and when they need. Then it comes to the second category, for example, like the Zimbabwe South Africa situation, where you are given a certain number of days, and that certain number of days, you know, it gets to a period when it expires, like the 90-day period, and then it means you may no longer, you know, uh, stay in South Africa in, in, I mean, in that particular year, lawfully, unless you have to apply for a particular visa that allows you to be in either in terms of a visit, business, health-wise, you know, or, or, or leisure or anything like that, like or a pensioner. Mkaya, we're talking about the rights of foreign nationals generally uh, across the African continent. Uh, if you're a South African that intends to visit uh, another African country, what is it that is required of you in that country? Uh, what kind of documentation do you require to go and visit that country as we approach the festive season? It's an important issue that as Africans we get to know each other and we get to know various parts of the African continent. And if you have the ability and the means to travel, uh, we encourage you during this festive season to go and visit at least one African country and begin to appreciate the life and customs of the uh, of, of those people. So this discussion is is really meant for us to to try and find each other and and, and learn to uh, to know each other and strengthen our relations uh, as as African people. Give us a call on 086-00-00959 Advocate Musa, um, um, thank you very much for for, uh, for 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 joining us in this very important discussion. I'm not sure where you picked up the discussion. Um, I couldn't see you on the on the screen. Um, uh, to see whether or not you were you, you had joined us in the discussion, but we, we are at a stage where, uh, as, as, as Dr. Spanda was was explaining, you have arrived at a port of entry at a, at the border. You have said, "I want to visit Zimbabwe." Um, uh, do you have to justify your presence, your, your intention to visit um, um, uh, uh, Zimbabwe, for instance, given the example that was given by uh, by Dr. Spanda, or for that matter, when you want to come into South Africa, when you arrive at the port of entry? Do you have to justify what, he, what, what it is that you intend to do in the country that you intend to, to visit? Yes, uh, I couldn't hear you all this uh, all the time. So, so can you can you put? So, so I, I was saying I was saying that um, um, I don't know where you joined the the, the, the discussion from, and I was saying that uh, Dr. Spanda had just explained that there are some countries that are visa exempt. And when you arrive at the port of entry, uh, my question to you was, do you need to justify... Can you, can you perhaps hang up and call again? I think we're having a problem with um, uh, Advocate Moza's uh, line. Advocate Moza, I think the, the problem is that you need to switch off your radio where you are. Um, uh, Dr. Spanda, if, 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 yes. if, you, if, if you may pick up the discussion from, from where I'd left it with, uh, with, with yes. the Advocate Moza while he's switching off his, 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 okay. the, the radio where he is. The, the, the question was, you, you've explained that the person is now at the port of entry. Mm-hmm. Does he have to justify why he needs to enter a particular country? Or it, it, is, yes. it is that you can enter that country on demand? Well, look, ordinarily people should not really, you know, get to, I mean, to, 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 at the pain to explain why they are going into a country. If, for example, one is coming from a country where they've got visa, that should be stated in their visa what kind of a visit that they're having. They don't really need to, you know, get uh, a 2110, you know, question about why are you coming, what is going to happen. Because basically, uh, the purposes of, of the borders is normally to control the movement of people and make sure that people, you know, that are moving in and out of these countries are properly documented and they are within, you know, the provisions you know, of the time that they're allowed to come in. Not for people, as we have often seen at some of the border posts, where people are treated, you know, in a very cruel and human way, and where questions that are asked to them tend to dehumanize them. I mean, we, we know, of course, that, you know, countries, because of, you know, terrorism and, 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 and some of these issues, there are countries that you'd find that they even have visas because of the high prevalence, you know, of, 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 of acts of terrorism or the relations that exist between, you know, the country that is being visited to such an extent that, you know, these people might be uh, thoroughly, you know, maybe, you know, give, I mean, uh, questioned when they arrive at, at, at the border post. So that is why, to some extent, you know, it is expected that some people can be asked quite a number of questions. But in the ordinary sense of people traveling, when somebody gets at the border, the idea is basically that, okay, you know, the person has gotten at the border and you know, at the port of entry and they want to go into the country. If they are supposed to be given days at that particular because they don't need, you know, a, a specific visa, they just say, look, I'm in the country. I want to spend um, maybe 20 days or 30 days. Um, this is a, a visitor's you know, I'm, I'm visiting my relatives or I'm on a business family, I mean, a business visit or I'm on a health, you know, a visa. And that's just it. So there shouldn't be, you know, those hassles, you know, where people are made to feel as though they 
are unwelcome in the natural you know, course of business and the general expectation is that it should not be any difficult, it should not you know, tend to be an interrogation. But, but, but is there a requirement that the, the, the immigration official attending to you at a port of entry uh, is entitled to ask where you will be staying and with who you will be staying and whether or not you can in fact afford to be, uh, to be in that country? And look after yourself, whether you have enough resources to look after yourself for the duration of your, what you claim is, is going to be your stay in that particular country. Now, we've got quite a number of countries that will say, if you are visiting that particular country, they may ask, for example, that if this is the kind of visit, I want to see how much money you have so that they want to see, okay, if you're going to be able to look after yourself. But that is not ordinarily meant to be done at the port of entry. Unfortunately, normally these things will take place at the port of entry because people are vulnerable. They don't know their rights and they get to be asked so many questions so that at the end of the day, they may end up feeling like they didn't qualify to be in that country. And this is used as a means of soliciting bribes, you know, from the people that you know, obviously are trying to cross into a particular country because this is normally not left for the officials at the border post or at the port of entry to deal with. And, you know, if, 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 if officials at a uh, port of entry do have genuine and legitimate, you know, uh, suspicions, they are allowed to do, you know, ordinary interviews. But again, those interviews, you know, it would be, for example, because somebody is being suspected, you know, of maybe being a terrorist or there's something that is quite, you know, weird, you know, that really genuinely anybody would see that, okay, the suspicion, for example, is that which would be seen as reasonable, objectively reasonable. So, in, 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 in a nutshell, what we see is that when somebody gets to a, a port of entry, they are not supposed to be ordinarily subjected to so many unnecessary questions about where they would be going and what exactly is happening, you know, uh, because they should be treated as a visitor and they should be allowed the courtesy to say, okay, as a visitor, you have not committed any crime, you are coming into a country and you are coming to visit or this is the purpose of a visit, then you, you, if, you, if, if, you, if you are required to state where you are supposed to be staying, because maybe you're visiting uh, the requirement in terms of... Dr. Spanda, is it an illegitimate question? Is it an illegitimate question for any sovereign state, for any African sovereign state to seek to know who is entering their border and where they are going to be staying? Why is that question an illegitimate question to ask? It, it, it is not an illegitimate, it is not an unlawful question again in any case. The issue is, what we are saying is that, look, the laws of a particular country, the laws of you know, immigration in any country, they provide for these things. To such an extent that, for example, the laws may provide that if someone is coming into a country, this is the procedure that is basically followed. So it should be within you know, the provisions of the laws of that particular country. To such an extent that every country is allowed to check and understand who is coming into the country and what exactly is it that they are supposed to do. But this should be done within the purview of the laws of that particular country not to be done willy-nilly because somebody wants to and yet there is no provision in terms of the law you know basically to allow for that because then if that becomes the case and it, it, is used, it, it then subjects a lot of visitors you know to unnecessary questions to those that even infringe on the basic rights of people their right to privacy and so forth now i know that quite a number of countries even developing developed quite developed countries would obviously want to know that if you are visiting this country who are you visiting where are you going to be staying but all those things are covered where they are covered when you do a visa application and if you look at some of the countries that we have for example when we're talking about visas if you look at uh, east africa and so forth you realize that countries like uganda and so forth you don't even need you know um you know the the, 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 the passport and so forth to travel between these countries because they they have actually adopted a principle where people can cross into other countries where they move freely and yet they still obviously would be able to recognize or to know how many people have come in and out of the country you know because of the ease you know of people you know to go in because people don't seek them to try and jump into these countries illegally yeah no I, I seem to remember something to the effect that the president of kenya um uh, did issue a directive or the government of kenya did issue a directive to the extent that all you need to prove is that you have an id document of an east african country uh, and then you're allowed to move in between those uh, those countries you don't necessarily need any, need a passport is my recollection of those facts correct it is very correct. In fact, I have a colleague that comes from Lesotho that at some stage worked in Uganda. Now imagine somebody from Lesotho, I mean, uh, who was working in, in Uganda on some project. Now, while they were allowed to be in, in Uganda, they could easily cross into the neighboring countries without answering or being asked any other questions because they were allowed entry into one of the countries. So immediately you are in that particular country, this is where you're working. You then begin to move freely within that, uh, you know, uh, board of countries. 
well speaking for myself i i, I just hope uh, we, we 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 reach that day as, as african people that we would have developed our economies sufficiently enough that um, it should be possible merely to move across any african country merely on the production of an identity document issued by a government by an african government without without the need for 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 passport well i'm i'm i'm, I'm talking about myself so when i learned of those developments in kenya i i, I was i was i was thoroughly impressed by what they had done in uh, in us in, in in, in East Africa, as far as uh, facilitating discussion uh, um, uh, movement uh, amongst African people, and and, for, and invariably uh, Im- improving the performance of the of our of our respective economies. Mkaya, we're talking about the uh, the rights of uh, foreign nationals as we approach the festive season. We're trying to interrogate what it is that is required of you to travel into another African country, and what is what your rights and responsibilities would be uh, in, in 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 that African country. We'll continue the discussion after the break. I am Afropolitan. Afropolitan. Kaya FM. Kaya FM. 95.9. Welcome back, Mkaya. I'm standing here for my big brother, Michael Motsonengbili. He's on a boat somewhere preparing for the holidays. And in the spirit of holiday, we thought we should have a discussion around uh, the rights and responsibilities of foreign nationals across the African continent as we approach the festive season. Uh, you might be intending to travel. Uh, what is it that is required of you if you want to go and visit Uganda, if you want to go and visit Zambia, if you want to go and visit Botswana, or for that matter, you want to go and see the king in the Republic of Swaziland. I hope my friend is listening from Swaziland. Oh, by the way, it's now Eswatini. So, so we want to have a discussion around what is it that is required of you. Uh, and we want to encourage you during this festive season, if you have the means and the ability to go and visit at least one African country and towards the beginning of the year, you tell all your friends about how beautiful, beautiful it was. If, if you go to Zimbabwe, there's the Victoria Falls. If you go to uh, Botswana, go and see what it, uh, what is in, in Botswana. Uh, Advocate Musa, I, I hope now we, 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 can, we, we can hear each other. We, 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 yes. Dr. Spanda has spoken about people that voluntarily make a conscious decision that they want to visit a particular country and and has taken us through what is ordinarily required either in a country that is visa exempt or in a country where you are entitled to a visa at the port of uh, uh, at the port of entry. Now let's take it slightly different. What are, what about those people who don't make a conscious decision that they want to go and visit a particular country but leave that African country on account of human rights abuses? They leave uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo or they, they leave Zimbabwe or they leave any other African country and they come to, let's, let's use South Africa as an example, uh, intending to seek political asylum. What is it that is required of them at the port of entry? Right. For those people who leave their country because of um, persecutions, they can be political, they can be religious, they can be um, whatever form of persecution. Those people, let me say the law allows them to enter South Africa anyhow. There might be border jumpers who cross the Limpopo River stepping on top of crocodiles. They can come to South Africa through the port of entry. They can come to South Africa through... Um, defense. Now, as long as these people are now in the Republic of South Africa, can you hear me? Yes. As long as these people now are in the Republic of South Africa, they then have to approach the refugees reception office and apply for an asylum. And the the reasons that they give must be valid reasons of persecution. For instance, if, let's say, in Nigeria, we have got Muslims killing Christians and this person felt unsafe and had to leave Nigeria on account of that, that would be regarded as a valid reason. Or let's say there's war in Central African Republic and someone had to uh, flee uh, for his life, that would be a valid um, reason. So but now, if you come to South Africa and you say that uh, the economy in Congo is terrible... I'm here looking for a job. That is not a valid reason for you to be granted asylum. So it can be that somebody comes to South Africa and so joins in South Africa, let's say, for a year, two years, or even three years. And this person is an illegal immigrant and has never applied for an asylum, has never visited the refugee reception office to apply for an asylum. If this person is encountered uh, by the police in violation of the Immigration Act, 
in what this person is in South Africa illegally and does not have any documentation. It's not too late for this person to express an intention to apply for an asylum. As soon as this person says, I want to apply for an asylum, then um, Home Affairs is enjoined to give this person an asylum permit valid for 14 days. And within those 14 days, this person should approach the refugees reception office and submit an application for an asylum. And then once that is done, this person must then be given a Section 21 uh, temporary permit. That is a permit that is given to an asylum seeker pending the adjudication of the asylum application. Up until such a time, the asylum can either be approved or it can be rejected. And if it is rejected, then this person also still has to make use of internal review processes, if they are rejected, he still can approach the court uh, to review the decision of the refugee determination officer. So, 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 it, it, so throughout that throughout this explanation you have given, you, you have not mm-hmm. made mention of any requirement as far as a passport is concerned. Is there any expectation or any requirement that a person that seeks to uh, to seek political asylum must be in possession of a passport? Right. Let's say the house is on fire. Um, and you were sleeping. What would we expect you to be holding when you jump out of the house? So Nothing. What, so, so what if is the answer to my question? Sleeps, if, if, if you're a person who sleeps naked, you might probably be standing outside naked because you just jumped out of the fire. So we don't expect this person to be having any form of documentation. If this person has got a passport, then it would be good to identify this person to, for us to know exactly who this person is. Probably this person is a fugitive of justice who committed heinous crimes from the, from the uh, country where he's coming from. But ordinarily, for an asylum seeker, this person might be having no documentation whatsoever, not even a birth certificate. So, 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 exclude anyone from applying for, for an asylum. So, so, how does the Refugee Reception Center identify you as uh, Advocate Clinton Musa? Yeah, that is, that, is, that is the difficulty that we have. We will have to take his, uh, this person's word for it. If this person says that I am um, Taboma Panga, then we have to take him with that name. So someone might come and use a pseudonym, but it is the way it is. That's what he, that's who he said he is, and that's the name that Homer says is worth it. And, 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 and this person say, let me give an example, is coming from Zambia. And before you get into mm-hmm. South Africa, you have to pass by, by, uh, by Zimbabwe. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and you say you want to seek political asylum in, uh, in, in, in South Africa. And then the question that naturally arises is that you passed one country into South Africa. Why didn't you seek political asylum in, 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 in Zimbabwe or, or any other country prior to you arriving, any other country that you passed on your way to South Africa? If that question arises, it arises as a result of the prejudice of the uh, uh, refugee's determination officer. It's not a question that is allowed. It doesn't matter that this person passed with 20 countries. The fact of the matter is the person is in South Africa and is seeking asylum. So you're saying it's, it's of no consequence that uh, this person would have passed six, seven countries coming into South Africa and did not seek political... For instance, if we can never debate about the political stability of, uh, of, of Zimbabwe. Let's take, uh, what, Botswana. You you, mm-hmm. you you make your way from Zimbabwe via Botswana into South Africa um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 and, and, and you don't seek political asylum in Botswana, which maybe we can fairly describe as, as, a, as, a, as a stable as a stable country. Um, mm-hmm. Why not seek political asylum in, in, in Botswana and w- seek to seek that asylum in South Africa? Unfortunately, that, that question will be an invalid question if you look at the, um, the laws of South Africa. And even if you are to reject someone on that basis, if that person uh, takes you to court, your decision as a refugee determination officer will be overturned on that basis. It's an invalid question. The fact of the matter is the person is within the Republic, is within the borders of South Africa, and is seeking asylum. The fact that he passed in 20 countries and these countries today have granted him asylum, and these countries are politically stable, there is no war, or they put the means to um, uh, to look after this person is actually it's not a valid question, Doctor Spand. I I, I I then make a conscious decision that I want to go to um, visit uh, my friend in 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 Switzerland. Uh, I arrive in Switzerland. I'm I'm, I'm driving a, a a motor vehicle. As far as documentation authorizing me to to be able to drive a car. 
generally speaking on the african continent or in sadak what, what, what are the what are the documents that are required of me to be able to lawfully drive uh, in a country say for instance in swaziland Dr. Spanda. I think we're also having a problem with Dr. Spanda's uh oh, I... Dr. Spanda. Yes, hello. Yes, I, I, I was saying that I, I, I make a conscious decision that I, I want to go and visit my my uh, my friend Mr. Makanya in, uh, in 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 Swaziland. And I take a car and I'm driving from from South Africa to go into into Swaziland. I'm in possession of a of a South African driver's license. Generally speaking, what would be required of me in in terms of being authorized to operate a motor vehicle in a in in, in an African country, for instance, in Swaziland? And I'm in possession and I'm in possession of a driver's license of a country in which I'm a citizen. It is quite sufficient that on its own in, in the majority of you know other countries it is sufficient that um, you can drive in any other country using you know the license you know from your country of origin where you ordinarily you know reside. And uh, in addition to that, what might be required is the documentation, the car documentation that shows that you have not stolen this motor vehicle. What is normally you know your your your, your license papers, your vehicle registration, you know documentation. If that document, I mean, if the vehicle does not belong to you, you will need, for example, you know the authorization, you know. Uh, from either the owner of the vehicle or from the bank if the vehicle is financed and you also need you know the insurance company to have been notified so that you know you allowed you you legally have the country i mean the vehicle in that country and you have not stolen it so the most important document that you will require if you drive for example into Swaziland is your license you know your driving license as well as you know uh, the documents that ordinarily identify you like your passport and the vehicle registration document and if they are not in your name and affidavit that then uh, stipulates that you know the owner of the vehicle who whose particulars appear on the registration documents of the vehicle has given you authority to use that vehicle and drive in that particular country where you are or other countries in the Sadek region, like what normally quite a lot of banks will do in, uh, in in South Africa, where they would allow to say, okay, you're allowed to drive in countries in Sadek and you still probably even have insurance, your insurance covering you in those particular countries. So there isn't real much, but uh, just, you know, to show that you have not stolen the motor vehicle and you are qualified to, to drive and that should be shown, um, you know, by carrying your driving license from whichever country you know that um you, you have obtained it from and uh it's it clear that it's not a fraudulent license so th- th- then let, 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 let's take it a step further I, I i don't intend to travel alone i i intend to travel with my minor child um and and and, and both parents me and my um my me and the mother of the of the child or you and your your wife are are, are both present what kind of documentation would be required for, for 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 the minor child to be able to cross borders? Well, um, for example, there, there's a, the, the, the 2014 law that um, required that uh, you know the parents or relatives traveling with children should have an abridged birth certificate and a letter of authorization showing that you know the child has been allowed you know to be taken by this particular uh, relative or by the guardian who is accompanying the child has been scrapped. You know, I think as of uh, the last month here in South Africa for people coming outside, you know, uh, South Africa that are foreign nationals in South Africa. However, if you are a South African and you intend to travel outside South Africa. You'd still require, you know, that documentation that shows that you are authorized, you have an abridged certificate, and you have got a letter that shows that you are authorized to take that child out if you do not have, you know, another parent. But if both parents are there, and because normally this would then show in the child's, I mean, uh, either passport or in the child's, you know, birth certificate, then that there would be no letter, you know, the, the letter that authorizes another parent, you know, to take the child out because both the parents are going to be present, especially if they are South African. But ordinarily, in other countries in the subject, that requirement has not yet been uh, put in place and it is not there that you should then have authorization from the other parent to take the child away with you. So is it a letter or, or it's an affidavit or, or, or either of the two is sufficient? Normally it should have to be an affidavit. Um, it's some form of an affidavit. Even if it's a letter, but it should be obviously authenticated maybe by being commissioned at a police station. Uh, in the majority of the cases, that is what is uh, I mean, ex- ex- accepted other than uh, other, you know, commissioners of oath. So you need to have that affidavit from the police station, you know, and if it's a letter, it must then be commissioned again at the police station to show that you have been given that authority if you are not traveling with, another, with the other parent. So, so you're saying that requirement is, is not prevalent across the African continent. It, it, is a, it is a requirement that is only in respect of South Africa. 
Indeed, it is not prevalent across uh, and, and it has been wavered now even for foreign nationals coming into South Africa, but it has been left in place for South African citizens or parents traveling out of the country, you know, with uh, minor children. So, so, so say, say it's a mother of a child, um, a single mother, the father has been unavailable in the life of the, of, of the, of the child and the mother intends to go on a holiday with this child um, and is unable to get this letter from uh, uh, from from the father of the child, then what happens? Well, in the majority of the cases, what would then happen is that, for example, if the the father is there and is it's shown that on the birth certificate that there is a father, then it would be very important to then go either to court to the children's court so that you know it can be stipulated to show that who has got you know the right, who's the legal guardian of that particular child, and who ordinarily stays with the child so that they can take decisions you know to travel with the child or not. Now, one of the major reasons why this law, for example, in South Africa was put in place because it had been seen that you know parents would easily take the child out of the country because they want to deprive another parent because they are going through some divorce. So they unlawfully remove the child from within the republic, you know, without the consent of the other parent. So what then happens is if the father has not been, you know, there in the life of that child, you know, what the parents then need to do is to approach the children's court so that they can get, you know, a declarative of some sort to that particular effect so that whenever they travel, then they've got that documentation that shows that they are the legal guardian and this is the only person who stays with the child and therefore they don't need to be, you know, running after the father who they don't know where the father is in order to get authority, you know, um, of, of, of the other parent to look after the child. And this would normally also appear because if you go to court, it will show that, okay, the parent is either paying maintenance, there are maintenance orders against this particular parent or this parent is not there and it would be then easy for these people to get those. But that would involve so, uh, the children's court. So so you're saying that if, if, if someone is a single mother or for that matter a single father uh, out there and the other parent is, is not active in the life of the child and you have almost been singularly uh, uh, responsible for the upkeep of that child should it be necessary that you want to travel outside the country require a court order to that effect uh, to indicate that uh, the consent of the mother or the consent of the father was absent in the life of the child uh, it, it, it is not practical to get that consent well, it is. I mean, it is very, very important. And I think that's a very important question that you're asking because a lot of parents find themselves single parents and they do not even get maintenance, you know, from the other parents. So they are actually the single guardian, you know, of that particular child, legal single guardian of that particular child in every respect. But if at the time that, you know, maybe you gave birth, you know, the, when the child was born, both names of parents appear on that unabridged birth certificate. It is very important that they should then, uh, you know, have a proper, you know, uh, I mean, uh, guardianship, you know, letter or, I mean, or documentation drawn up or agreement, or they should then approach the court to show that the other parent is not present in the life of the other, ch- in the life of the, of the child, so that should they need to travel, they don't have to start looking and running after this particular parent whom they may not even know where they are. And it is also important that if they use the court because there are some parents that deliberately want to exclude other parents in the life of the child because they have disagreement. So they may decide to say, no, this parent is not there, but while in the meantime, they are the ones that are what, that are keeping that parent out of the child. So it is important that that matter is dealt with through the courts so that the courts can do a thorough and proper inquiry into the circumstances that have left this particular parent only with the child. Mkaya, we preparing for the festive season. I'm in discussion with Dr. Spanda and Advocate Clinton Moza about the rights of foreign nationals. And by foreign nationals, I mean an, a, a person who is not a national of a country in which they are at, uh, at a particular moment. And that might include South Africans who want to uh, go visit the rest of the African continent at the festive season approaches or uh, our African brothers and sisters across the African continent who might want to come and see the beauty of South Africa over this festive season. Um, and all this in the spirit of, of, of promotion promoting our African unity and, and living true uh, to the ideals of those who formed the organization of African unity, which is now the African Union, and, and, and see if it is possible for us to strengthen our relations uh, as, as African people. So we are in a discussion to try and understand what the law says around, uh, uh, around this issue. And if, if, if you have any questions, I have, uh, I have two very uh, good guests who are helping us navigate this issue, and our number is 086-00-00-959. Uh, if I may come back to you, um, um, uh, Advocate Musa. Now, we, 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 this asylum seeker has now approached a refugee um, uh, reception center, and they've indicated uh, they've indicated their 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 intention to 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 seek political asylum. 
and they have now been given with the first documentation which legalizes their stay in the country which indicates their intention to seek uh, uh, to seek asylum what rights immediately accrue to that person if any hello Hello. I think your 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 radio is on again. And um, uh, it, no, my radio is not on. So can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you now. But all this time you've been mute. Yeah. So so I'm saying that a, a, a person has now arrived at a at a, at a point of um, at, at a res- refugee reception center. They've indicated their intention to seek political asylum. Uh, they've now been given a document that legalizes their stay in the country. What rights immediately mm-hmm. accrue to them immediately at that point? Right. Immediately, this uh, asylum seeker is now is got a right to work. Uh, Advocate Musa, are, are we on loudspeaker? Because they, there's an echo coming on your phone. You, you have to remove the loudspeaker. Um, do you still hear an echo? That's much better. Right. So immediately, this person uh, obtains an asylum penny be it temporary or the refugee status. This person has got the right to study and has got the right to seek employment. But however, when it comes to certain positions that um, are linked to black empowerment, like the BEE, this person would not qualify for that. Let's say it's a vacancy at work and it requires to be filled up by a South African in terms of... um, in terms of the laws dealing with affirmative action, this person would ordinarily not qualify to fill up that position if this person uh, is actually someone who has been related to students. So this person would have all the other rights that the South African has, except for what I've just stated and also the right to vote. This person cannot vote. But any other rights that a citizen has, this person would have um, the same rights. So, so is is, is 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 an employer entitled to employ someone on account or, or, or on account of or on the strength of this permit that you're referring to? Yes, once the person is a, is, a, is a holder of this permit, be it a Section Twenty One permit, or this person now is going to recognize that this an employer can employ this person without any consequences. What is it that you're referring as a Section Twenty One permit? It's a temporary permit, like. For instance, you come right now and you say, I, I'm, I'm, I'm David, um, I'm David Marshall. I'm coming from Mozambique. I'm seeking an asylum. Why are you seeking asylum? Then you fill up all the application forms. There is a period of time within which this application has to be adjudicated. So from the time of the application up until the outcome of the uh, adjudication, this person needs to be legal in the country. So it's given a second one permit. It is a temporary asylum permit, which allows you to reside in South Africa up until such a time the outcome of your application is determined by the refugee status determination officer. Mkaya, we're talking about the rights of foreign nationals across the African continent as we prepare to enter the festive season. Uh, what is it that you require when you go and visit another African country and what are your rights and responsibilities when you go and visit uh, a- another country? Willie, will come and talk to you after we parent. I am worldly. 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 Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome back, Mkaya. Welcome to the Law Report. I'm standing in for my big brother, Michael Motswanengbil. We're talking about the rights of foreign nationals and we're preparing each other to help each other navigate the African continent and hopefully we're playing our part in facilitating the unity of African people to live true to the objectives of the Organization of African Unity, now the African Union, SADC, and all the regional bodies that uh, our political leaders have, have established. So we hope that during this festive season, those who can uh, will be able to travel across the African continent, learn the cultures and interact with, the, with your brothers and sisters on the African continent and those who are going to be coming into South Africa, that you welcome them uh, in South Africa and teach them everything there is to know uh, in, in, in South Africa. So give us a call on 86 959 uh, Willie from Spings, you have been holding for a long time. I think we've we've uh, we've, we've lost Willie. Um, we, we will try and we will try and get back. Oh, there is Willie. Willie. Hello, how are you? Very well, Willie. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I've got a question for the 
advocate there. Uh, there are stickers that are written VA, mostly found in uh, South African vehicles, showing that they are from abroad. So I just want to know the legal part of it. Is it a requirement that when you go out, you must have that sticker or not? You mean when you when you drive outside South Africa? Yes. Uh, Advocate Musa. No, the question was that there there are stickers that are written ZA, and the, the and, and what Willie is asking is whether ZA the stickers that are put. I've seen them at the back of uh, in most cases at, at the back of a vehicle. His, his question is, is it a requirement that when you want to drive outside the country, you must have a sticker that uh, that is written ZA? I think it differs from country to country. Like immediately, let's say you're going to Zimbabwe, immediately you get to the border. There are certain stickers that they would need on your car in terms of reflectors, which you would ordinarily not not requ- which are ordinarily not required in South Africa. So it could be a requirement in Zambia, it could be a requirement um, um, in Botswana that you have such um, such a sticker, but it's not something that is a requirement in every African country. Uh, Willie, I don't know if I I, I I captured your question correctly. Is 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 my was my summation of your question to Advocate Moza correct? Yes, yes, yeah, you kept at it correctly. So, so in other words, it's, it's gonna be according to the migration officers as to uh, that country does it use that speaker or not? Yes, yes. yes. Oh, okay. But Thanks I, a lot. I, I, I know for a fact that when you when you go to 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 Zimbabwe at the at the border, uh, depending on the size of your of your of your vehicle, they require stickers at the back, uh, red stickers at the back of the of the vehicle, and uh, whitish uh, stickers in the front of the of the be- of, of the vehicle. And if it is a if it is a bucky or, or a, a big car, uh, that it should be I think it's a yellow line, a, a yellow, yellow yellow sticker at the at the back. Uh, is my collection of of, of this correct? Yes, it's correct. Yeah. So, so, so I think like like Dr. Spando was indicating earlier on, um, um, some of these things are general requirements, and of course, depending on which country you want to 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 visit specifically, you would need to zero in into 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 that uh, specific country. Um, Dr. Spando, we, we 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 someone now voluntarily enters into south africa consciously so he's granted 30 days at the border uh it's a or, or, or a country where uh, you are not required to apply for a visa or, or or for that matter let's take it that under all the circumstances that you could possibly be in another african country you are now physically in that country you fall sick and you require hospitalization what are the right, what are the responsibilities of the host African country so far as uh, a, a sick visitor who is not physically within their within their geographical location? They they are entitled, you know, obviously to to go into that party. I mean, to go and 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 and, and seek, you know, medication. But in the majority of the countries, there are laws again, you know, that regulate, you know, um, how you know uh, people are treated at hospitals. For example, if you are not ordinarily resident in that particular country, which means that you don't pay taxes, you know, for example, you know, or contribute to the fiscal of that particular country. You may have specific fees that may be stipulated in order for you to be attended to. If it is an emergency, I think all the countries in the majority of the cases, quite a number of countries will attend to you and maybe raise the issue of the bill at a later stage. But if it's, I mean, an ordinary ailment that is not life-threatening, you obviously have to deal with the bill, you know, up front. And that is unlike, of course, if you're talking of, say, you know, people that now live in the country, like your asylum seekers and so forth, who then should be treated differently with those that have got work permits because they contribute, you know, to the fiscal. And that question has been uh, very tropical especially for example in south africa because you know we have had you know people raise questions about you know um whether asylum seekers you know should pay when they go to hospital or people that hold you know various pennies and the the, the the law in general in that effect is meant to ensure that only those people that are not permanently resident in a country or that do not work or contribute in terms of taxes should be the ones that pay and not a person that is contributing, you know, to the tax of the country, particularly people that are employed and ordinarily resident in that country. So if you come in for 30 days, you fall sick, or within that visa period, I mean, when you're not really, you know, working, then when you go to hospital, um, especially a public hospital, there are fees that are stipulated that are more different from those of people that, you know, are ordinarily there in the country. But what if it's a minor child? I mean, even if they wanted to, they, they could not be possibly contributing to the fiscal of that country. 
Well, if it's a minor child now, it depends, you know, on the parent, the person who's traveling with them, that what is the status of that person? I mean, for example, the law in South Africa says that um, the, 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 the status of the child always follows that of the guardian or legal parent, or legal guardian or parent of that child, which obviously means that if you are a visitor and you've got your child, and your child has fallen sick and they need medical, you know, um, assistance, they say this child is not, you know, a standalone, but is dependent on the parent. So the status of the parent then determines how the child is going to be treated and dealt with. We, 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 we're running out of time. I'm, I'm told we need to go to, to, to parent quite, 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 quite soon. So, so, so Advocate, Advocate Moza, there's a question I, I think you, you need to close up on. After you are issued with a Section 21 permit, what is the next permit that you are issued with, assuming that you've now satisfied the requirements uh, of, of, of being issued with the... You, you have satisfied the, the Refugee Determination Center that you are indeed a candidate to be granted asylum. Right. The next uh, permit would be you're granted a refugee status in South Africa. But now, uh, unfortunately, I can say home affairs has not been uh, operating effectively because you would find that someone is on the temporary permit from 2009, 2010, 2011, and has not been, um, it is, the application has not finally been determined. So someone might have been residing in South Africa for 10 years on Section 21 permit. And the refugee status has not been uh, has not been determined yet. So, so what happens in circumstances where the refugee status is denied? That is exactly one of the biggest issues that we are having, and we have been in and out of court with the review applications. This person came to South Africa ten years ago, has studied, has obtained a degree, got married, and now he's having children, and even married to a South African for that matter, and now goes to Omar says, and Omar says, says no. We, we have rejected your application and now we are detaining you and we are sending you to Lindela. And there hasn't been any internal review uh, mechanisms that has been given to this person. So, so, so what is the so, so, that so, we are actually yeah, dealing with in court. Yeah, so, so, so what is the remedy available to a person who has been denied refugee status? Right. There is internal review where you are reviewing internally. That is still within home affairs to say uh, I've been rejected and the reasons are not rational. And then if you are rejected internally again, you can actually bring a review application to the High Court. And then if you don't succeed in the High Court, there is still the Supreme Court of Appeal, Corn Court, depending on the merits of your case. I think this is where I seek to thank both uh, um, uh, Dr. Fusumuza Spanda and uh, Advocate Clinton Moza for a very informative discussion as we approach the, uh, the, 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 the festive season. I hope that, uh, and I, I can't stress this enough, that those who can and who have the means to travel, I hope that you travel across the African continent, visit your brothers and sisters on the African continent, and those who are going to be coming into, into South Africa, welcome them as much as you, uh, as you can, show them the beauty of the land of Chris Honey and make them appreciate uh, our unity as, uh, as African people. So it, it, what, what remains of me is to really wish you a very, very, very uh, fruitful festive season. Uh, find yourself new energy for the year 2020 and hope to see you again on the Law Report next year. Goodbye.